Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Oh my. Here we go. We're back in the House of Mystery, and this is uh, our second show back from our holiday. And of course, uh, Mike Brown joining me from Dark Poutine in Canada. Ooh. And 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 all of Canadian food. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and of can. course, we're not doing our pre little talk because we're, we're, we are, but we're going to have uh, our guest, who's uh, a true crime mastermind, mm-hmm. <laughs> and master host, of my own domain. <laughs> yeah, and host of the Outlaw Radio. Isn't that what it's called now? Outlaw Radio. It's called True Crime. True Crime Uncensored. Oh, it's uncensored. So you guys talk dirty. Yeah, constantly, oh. even when the mic's on. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You got that Howard Lapidus, right? He's Mr. <laughs> Mr. Paula Abdul. <laughs> yes, that's right. Howard Lapidus by 89 Days with Paula Abdul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he unfriended me because he had that picture of a cigar, and I asked him if he had a girlfriend named Monica. Oh, dear. Yeah. 
Anyway, we've got Burl Bear. Um, well, it's such a pleasure to have you. I mean, this is... Uh... It is. I've heard that a few times, but I was younger, mostly when I heard that. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah was, everybody was probably stoned. Um, yeah. So you had quite the career, I have to say. Um, you yeah, it's over now. We could all talk about the past yeah, tense. Yeah, yeah. This is your. This is you know. It's your lifetime achievement award time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My greatest hits album. They always put that out when your career's over. Uh, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Uh, Capitol Records offered to sell the Beatles to Columbia Records for twenty five thousand uh, dollars after they'd had three hits, because back in those days you only had three hits, and then your career was over. Yeah. And so they tried to sell them to Columbia. Columbia wouldn't take them. Which turned out to be good news for capital. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, now you know something you didn't know before. Trivia. Exactly. I've got a little bit more, a little less space in the brain. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that's all right. Yeah, uh, Columbia, Columbia tried to sell Bob Dylan uh, off, too, after his... Uh, uh, first album, it's not after his second album or third album because they figured he was he was done. So, <laughs> yeah, Bob Dylan, who's that? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, never heard of him. Yeah, oh, it's getting that way. I'll tell you. Uh, so, what, what's Burl been up to lately? Like, what are you doing? I mean, uh, what about uh, recovering from my exciting adventures of having a quadruple bypass open heart surgery and a brand new heart valve courtesy of a pig? Oh, Which wow. may sound like it's not kosher, but uh, it is okay because it saves the life, so it's all right. Yeah, but what, so um, uh, now um, are you going to uh, stop eating uh, McDonald's, or well, like, what's the deal? Well, I'll tell you that I already had a heart attack from eating at McDonald's uh, back uh, several years ago. I went on a year of that. That's about all I ate. At the end of the year, I was... I was uh, in, in the hospital, having six stents put in my heart up in Seattle years ago. And then a year ago, one year ago, one of those stents came loose. I had a blood clot in my heart. I thought I just had a little indigestion. Uh, I went to urgent care, and long story short, they said that I was two minutes away from death when I came in. Fooled them again. So I'm still alive. Much to their consternation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a great scar though now. It looks like, it looks like an autopsy scar. Whoa. But uh, I just finished up, uh, in terms of true crime, I just uh, completed the first book in a trilogy called American Panthers, the series, and the title of the first uh, entree uh, and an appetizer is Stealing Manhattan. And, where, and where, uh, where, it'll hopefully. Where did they take it to? Uh, they, well, that's interesting that you ask that question, because one of the bits of misinformation that was promulgated uh, in the 1990s was that uh, when there were giant diamond heists in New York, that the uh, the diamonds, etc., went to Europe, and that's not true. Nothing flowed to Europe. It all flowed from Europe to New York. Mm. The great diamond heist in uh Guys in uh, France uh, and Europe who were tied in with my buddy in uh, New York, they shipped everything to New York City. So it's uh, it's an astonishing story. Uh, in fact, 
I had to wait till the statute of limitations had run out on the some of the biggest diamond heists in uh, American history before I could do the book. And I was told, if you're patient and wait for the statute of limitations to be up, uh, we'll tell you everything. And that's okay. because, well, I'm Burl Bear. I'm the true crime author, the Criminals Trust. And uh, <laughs> I've got the memoirs of the famous Mr. Stan, the world's greatest diamond heist mastermind. Never caught, never prosecuted, never day in prison. Retired back to the old country uh, back, I think, in uh, 2015 or something. He's invited me to go fishing with him if I come over there. Sounds nice. Uh, also, uh, complete cooperation from his former wife, Bronca Duganji, uh, who was great at uh, uh, casing the joints. Beautiful woman, uh, 10 years younger than her husband, and she's bedecked in uh, mink uh, coats and dripping with diamonds. Uh, she would get into the jewelry manufacturing firms. I've never been inside a vault before. Can you show me? <laughs> show her the vault. And then she'd go back and tell her husband, okay, here's how we do this one. Uh, and her son, one son, Pavle Stenomirovic, also known as Paul, nicknamed Punch, who got the uh, nickname Punch because he can punch open a safe in under 16 seconds. Um, and he did his first multi-million dollar diamond heist at the age 16. He could have retired then, but he didn't. Unfortunately, he kept going and participated in the largest mega heist in the history of America. Consider this, 1990s, 1992, 94, he and his father devised a plan for the biggest run of heist in the history of the universe. Over $1 billion retail. Now, that's something you don't try to pull off every day. They identified... Ten jewelry manufacturing firms in the Diamond District, all insured for one hundred million or more. So they hit all ten. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Wowzers! No, so, yeah, and they, they go just ahead. be addicted to the to the thrill of doing it, right? Yes, exactly. Because they didn't need to do it; they were already rich. As he said, I didn't become a criminal because I was poor. I became a criminal because I was already very rich, and I wanted to make my dad happy. His father was the greatest gentleman thief who ever lived. He had five offices in the Diamond District, had the world's largest gemstone trading international company uh, with a great inventory stolen from all the people around him. And his son, uh, Ponch, is my buddy, uh, was the first to get the uh, security firms involved. So uh, the security firms, instead of trying to catch him, were helping him. <laughs> and... What about the safe companies? They were in on it, too. They, they uh, trained uh, Punch and how to open all their safes. And, of course, if you're a jewelry manufacturing firm insured for over $100 million and you're robbed, yeah. insurance will pay you full retail value within two weeks. You can't do that just selling it. No, it beats So it's great it. cash flow. Yeah. yeah, so everyone was happy. And uh, the insurance companies have been tied in with the New York Mafia families from the very beginning because what's insurance other than a legal protection racket? And so, uh, it was, you know, the insurance companies were told who to pay out. And everyone lived happily ever after except for the uh, major case squad of the NYPD. As corrupt as the NYPD was, uh, they still had to at least put out a good show of trying to catch these guys. And uh, they did catch the son. 
through no fault of his own. And he uh, wound up going to prison. The only one who went to prison was Punch. He's out now. He's reformed. The uh, uh, statute of limitations is up on all of his house, all of his crimes. He's a frequent guest on my radio show, True Crime Uncensored, and uh, I've written the bio about his uh, his family, the uh, you know the number one altruistic outlaws in the history of America. The only robbed, the heavily insured, and overinsured, and everybody was in on it. <laughs> wow. So now, wow. now, but with that addiction and all that history, now that punch is out. What stops him from doing it again? Uh, he promised he wouldn't do it again. He's always been tempted. And he went back to his first love. His first love had always been art. Hmm. Uh, both his mother and father were artists with great art appreciation. His father did work for Andy Warhol. In fact, Andy gave, uh, for Punch, has the originals, prototypes of the famous Andy Warhol camel soup can art. Not the one done in the 1960s that's worth millions, but the prototype that Warhol did in the 1950s when he was going to college. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. This guy's great. Uh, uh, but, yeah. I, I was go just, ahead. I, I just wonder if he's really going to quit. Do you believe that he won't go back to it? Uh, yeah. Uh, he doesn't need to. I mean, he misses the money. He was always wealthy. Uh, his family was wealthy. They got robbed, uh, however, many times. Uh, he uh, went to prison for 16 years, much to his uh, dismay. He could have uh, escaped at any time. That was no problem. That was already arranged. He could escape from prison any time he wanted. But then he would be a wanted criminal. He'd be on the run. Now, he'd already been on the run for years in New York, uh, hiding in plain sight, uh, using five, six, seven different aliases every time he... Uh, you know, he got picked up, he had a different name and different fingerprints, <laughs> released on his personal recognizance. Uh, but uh, when uh, he, yeah, well, the thing is, what was so cool is you think of, of these kind of criminals as not being well-educated, you know, as I term pasta-stuffed mafia thugs, but that wasn't this. This was entirely different. Uh, these people were wealthy. Punch was educated at the most exclusive boarding school in the world in Switzerland. Uh, went there when he was 10 years old. Came back four years later, he's like 14, 15. At the age of 16, he pulls his first multi-million dollar heist. Speaks several languages fluently, can impersonate any nationality. And when he did go to prison, knowing the G of a rich white kid from New York, goes into these federal prisons, I'll be the lowest man on the totem pole. Well, being he could impersonate any nationality or any subculture, he went in pretending to be a Puerto Rican gangster mm. and pulled that off. He should have got the Academy Award for Best Actor in Prison. <laughs> wow. So so now, so our prisoners are well-educated and our president doesn't can't, can't speak. <laughs> that's right. But that's okay. <laughs> and you know, I got, I got so aggravated, I wanted to strangle my TV show one day. This is what, a couple of years ago, they were all talking about the border, and we got to keep, what was it, MS-13 out of here, you know, the Mexican criminal. You know, I wanted to slap him. Any true crime investigator knows that MS-13 started in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, ex we exported it, and it's mostly teenagers, and there's far less of them than there are Crips and Bloods or Latin kings, for that matter. And, uh, 
You know, what the Crips and Bloods learned a long time ago is that red and green, which is their, I mean, red and blue, which is their colors, red and blue make green money. You know, there's money to be made of us working together. There's no money to be killing each other. Yeah. You know, what was the last time you heard about big drive-by shooting gang wars between the Crips and the Bloods? Not recently, not in the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. They're all working together, making buku bucks. Yeah. When, when you get together with these people, um, how is it when you're when you're trying to write a book? Like, uh, you've kind of got to go on their terms, like Punch and his family and all that, or do you kind of mm-hmm. direct them? No, no. Uh, it's a very cooperative sort of thing. Uh, it's very interesting that when Punch and I first got together, his major thing that he was so wanted to just impress upon me and and doing research. A lot of true crime books by guys telling stories of all the fantastic things they did in the crime world are all a bunch of crap, nonsense. What it is, the guys who are nobody, who are in the witness protection program, come forward and say, I did these things. They were one of the low men on the totem pole. They didn't do anything. You know, they were... Uh, Way down there, but they start taking credit for things that that they didn't do or weren't involved in. Still there? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You still there, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. I thought I lost it for a second. You edit that old section. Oh, I see. Somebody you're trying to call me on the phone. Oh. Well, I'm not an idiot. Probably some loyal fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one. That's what that beep. Yeah, that one fan that buys my books. <laughs> Mr. Bear, you sold a copy of Matt Overboard this year. Thank you. Uh, he, Punch wanted to make sure that I knew that everything he was telling me was the truth. And so he was uh, doing a lot of work getting the microfiche articles uh, from the New York Times, New York Post about the various heists, etc. cetera. Uh, and I got to talk to other members of his crew and his mother, bless her heart, who's so gorgeous, by the way. And... Uh, uh, interviews of uh, his dad that were all done on tape, and poor dad left the country, and uh, it's uh, you know everything's been verified. It's all true. People go, "Is this a true story?" <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> How's their family dynamic? Like, is it, is it like a typical family? Did you find? Well, not exactly. No, uh, Mr. Stan, as we call, he's the, the the brilliant mastermind behind all this stuff came to the United States in 1957 from Serbia with a... Uh, now, he was also raised with wealth and prestige. The only reason Mr. Stan survived childhood is because he wasn't Jewish. Uh, had he been Jewish, he'd be dead because the, uh, uh, the, the Nazis went into uh, Yugoslavia and into Serbia and murdered virtually every Jew they could get their hands on. Uh, they got their hands on Mr. Stan when he was a kid, seven years old. They thought he was Jewish because he was playing outside by the synagogue, but his family owned the property next to it, behind it or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they found out he wasn't Jewish, they didn't kill him, but they did other things to him which were rather unspeakable. And uh, uh, it never was quite the same after that. But he was one of the kids that was dropping bombs on Nazi tanks with the second floor uh, windows of buildings, uh, you know, they had a whole brigade of kids who were like seven, ten years old who were in the resistance, and he was one of those. But uh, he, uh, he got out of uh, uh, Serbia and came to America, 
because he had written some incredible articles about how Yugoslavia, the communist regime there, was mistreating or totally ignoring the uh, children, orphans uh, from the war, many of them who were Jewish, and that was an outrage, and uh, he had to escape kind of with his life, came to America, and married a bunch of rich women, and the next thing you know, he's rich. <laughs> That's what I did wrong. And, uh, and he's best friends with him. He's doing work for uh, Philip Pearlstein, Andy Warhol, uh, the Chryslers, the DuPonts. I mean, he was charming. He was charming socks off anybody, and intelligent, and reliable, and wound up being in charge of, of all the major uh, art facilities in New York City, uh, the top buildings, Dakota, all those sort of things. And here's a great thing. Uh, they told me, said, uh, Stan, we have all these storage lockers that have been sitting there since the war. They have, like, skeleton keys to them. And this stuff hasn't been claimed. It's been sitting there forever. If you'll clean those all out, anything of value that you find, you can have. Oh, wow. And he found wealth like you wouldn't believe. First edition books worth a million dollars, million dollars worth of art, paintings, rarities. Nice. Pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and he married this lovely, uh, Bronco, who was uh, 18 when she came to America, a large scholarship, met him at a party on uh, you know uh, Central Park and West, <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, they're married. And what does she know? I said, "What did I know about sophisticated criminals? Nothing." She came from a small village in the Serbia, uh, and but she was very talented, and. So what does she learn about America? Everything she learns, she learns in her husband's apartment. You know, very wealthy. And one of his, the things she learned was the art of the heist. You know, when you spend time with people like this, <clears throat> and even your previous, I know your betrayal in blue, you know, Ken Urell and that, um, do you worry about backlash from people for writing these types of books well what kind of backlash do you mean threats on my life I get that yeah, I mean, no, you know I'm a true crime author well we had Ken Urell on right? and, and uh, you know I'm still getting uh, 100 mails a month about how bad he is and what an awful creature he is and we should never be promoting that sort of stuff and all blah 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 oh no, he's a great guy Yeah, well, I, he's I, a I great guy yeah He's a wonderful guy, really. He takes full responsibility for what he did back then. Right. You know, he doesn't blame it on anybody. He doesn't blame it on Michael Dowd, his partner. Mm -hmm. He could have not done it any time. But uh, the lure of easy money has a very strong appeal. I mean, he wasn't doing the drugs. He was just selling them and making damn good money. And he loved having the money. Yeah. And his wife, his wife Dory, is telling him, "Honey, we don't. I know. I would be glad to live with you happily in a double white trailer. We don't need a fancy new house. We don't need this, that, and the other." Mm. And see, there's a great documentary called "The Seven Five about Michael Dowd and Ken Urell. Although the documentary gives a wrong impression, which is one reason people are so disgusted with it, mm. it gives the impression that Ken ratted out Michael. That he turned on him like a snake. Yeah. ratted about and that's not true they were both arrested at the exact same time and they were both released on bail at the exact same time mm -hmm. and michael goes to ken and maybe we talked to you talked about it on the show 
and says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing for this Colombian drug cartel, and they're going to sneak us off to uh, work on the Bubba Gump shrimp uh, <laughs> boat <laughs> in Nicaragua or some such nonsense. And Ken goes, you're out of your mind. The Colombians don't want witnesses. You want to kidnap this woman. and get, They're going to kill you or kill us, you know. And so now he's faced with a terrible dilemma. If he lets his partner go ahead and do this crackpot scheme of kidnapping this woman that the drug cartel wants to murder, delivering her, he's either going to get killed by the Colombians or he's going to get caught and spend life in prison. The only way he could save his partner is to become a cooperating witness. Not an informant, but a cooperating witness. And that is a rough situation to be in. Because to be a cooperating witness, they sit you down and they grill you like a swordfish. And if you say anything, one word wrong, if you don't admit to something that they know you did, you're screwed. He had to tell them everything you possibly remember about any criminal act he'd ever done. And he did that to save his, to save his partner's life. And so they wound up arresting Michael, which saved his life. And I'll tell you something else about the documentary. Where they were, maybe uh, Ken told you this. When they were filming it, they had Ken wait at the door of the 75th precinct, and then had Michael Dowd show up. And they were, you know, secretly filming this, thinking maybe there'd be like a fist fight or something. They were very disappointed. The two guys just hugged each other. <laughs> No, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. That's right. yeah, they were expecting some sort of... Uh, well, they wanted the drama, right? They wanted the... Uh, yeah, they wanted the drama. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, what, I mean, Michael Dowd is very entertaining in the documentary. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it's a great documentary. It just it gives you the kind of erroneous impression that Ken rolled over on him. I mean, there are those who think, well, he's a bad guy because he was one of the two most corrupt cops in the history of the NYPD, contemporary history anyway. And he admits it. Yes, that's true. And, yeah, it, uh, he's ashamed of what he did. And that was decades ago. And, I mean, his neighbors couldn't believe that this was him. I mean, when, when the documentary came out and everybody started seeing it, he goes, that, wait, that's our friend Ken. <laughs> Same thing with the Kiki, uh, who I had on my show. Uh, he came on the show and said he had to explain it to his wife, etc., because she didn't know he used to be a corrupt cop. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, well. Oh, yeah, that's me in that documentary, <laughs> stealing on heroin. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Got some splaining to do. Yeah. Hey, yep. so, well, what do you think of TV? So, by the way, everyone in your audience should buy, should buy Betrayal in Blue by Burl Bear and Frank Cigarato Jr. and Ken Urell and get the, truth, the whole true story. Really yes. should. Actually, uh, Frank, actually, I've had him on for first. I didn't realize he was part of that book. Um, uh, he did burn. Yeah, that's a, he's a very talented guy. See, I'm, I've gotten old, you know, and it's this thing about the passage of time ages me. Yeah. And uh, I moved from Seattle area down here to L.A. And one of the big differences writing true crime is that for Seattle, if it was the Northwest case, I knew everybody. I could go to, uh, you know, the prosecutors and they'd help me out here and there and, and the cops or whatever and the criminals, you know. You gotta have it balanced. You can't just rely on one or the other. <laughs> but when I got down here and, uh, uh, 
I want to write smart true crime books, I didn't have the contacts. You know, I didn't have the relationships. Plus, I'm getting lazy in my old age. I discovered this, that that happens with authors. Even though I love research, and that's one of my favorite things to do, I just don't have... Excuse me. I just don't have the emotional bandwidth, the mental acuity, or the energy to do the kind of research I used to do. Mm-hmm. That just happens with age. I mean, I'm in my 70s. I had to realize that. So where can I find someone who can do that? And I bet uh, Frank, I want this guy, is one hell of a fantastic journalist. Yeah. Smart as could be, and he has all the contacts. And uh, we did uh, Taste for Murder was the first book we did together, full-length book. And, uh, you know, I got a hold of it. I said, uh, hi, I'm Burl Bear. We've met before. We've talked before. How would you like to do a book with me? And he thought that was a fine idea. We did uh, Taste for Murder, which sold very, very well and still continues to sell. And when uh, I got a phone call one day from Paul Guzzo down in Florida and said that uh, Ken Urell had got a hold of him and said, I have my memoirs here. I think they'd make a dandy book. Uh, who do you suggest I get hold of? Uh, you or somebody else? And Paul honestly said, I don't think I'm your guy, but he suggested Burl Bear. That's me. And uh, so then I called Frank, and I said that I'd bring him in on this if he'd like to, if he thinks this is cool. And, boy, he did a fantastic job. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. We had such fun doing this book. And people can't believe it, but none of us that Frank, Ken, Pearl, we were none of us ever in the same room at the same time. Hmm. We never wrote together like you'd imagine two guys sitting in front of a computer writing like, no. Yeah. Never happened. Yeah. And people find that quite fascinating. How do you do that? How do you write a book when you don't even see each other? <laughs> and uh, Frank, I thought, explained it quite well. He says, kind of like if we were a band. He says, uh, says, I'm the rhythm section, you know, drums and bass. He says, I lay down the basic track, and then Burl comes in and plays lead guitar. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, works. Yeah. it works, and I mean, he is so good. And then we just get on the phone and go back and forth and say, well, what do you think about this? How about, how about, you know, oh, let's dump this, let's do that. Say, so, what? Well, I'll do this part, then you write that. And, uh, then, of course, the big thrill is who calls in uh, Adam Diaz, the head of the Dominican drug cartel that uh, Mike and Ken were working for. He calls in. He wants to make sure he's portrayed properly. Of course. <laughs> and uh, he was great. Yeah. Well, those, uh, another one of the guys that was involved was a, did one of those or else's on us. We said, don't worry, don't worry. And uh, and Punch called him, and uh, he, he he has his own observations because he was active around the same time these guys were, and uh, they knocked him off the front page, which he was kind of happy about. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, here we have uh, international criminals calling in to make sure they're portrayed properly in a book, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think of the documentaries? All this, all the true crime documentaries out there, Netflix and all these shows. Um, oh, okay. do you think well, it's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it depends on the individual documentary. I've seen some that were absolutely fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm surprised people haven't OD'd on true crime yet. But it just <laughs> seems to be a growing genre, and I wish they'd send me more money. I just did a new a show for uh, an episode for a new show called Killer Siblings. How do you like mm. that for a cashy title? Yeah. You know, brothers and sisters who killed together. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 
what appears to be a fine show. It's kind of amusing as though the uh, Matthew Watts, who was, the, I guess, the showrunner, producer, director, whatever, for the series, called me up, and we'd worked with him before. He did the, the excellent show on Investigation Discovery, uh, Epic Mysteries, where they did an entire hour based on A Taste for Murder, which, of course, I was real happy about because they promoted the book and they paid us. Uh, but he calls up and says, Burl, uh, do you and Frank have any stories with killer siblings? I said, gosh, I don't know if it is. I asked Frank, and he had a couple, and then I get a call back from Matthew's assistant. Uh, no, I did. I let me revise that. I get a call from Matthew, and he says, Burl, my assistant came up with this great killer sibling story. I said, oh, yeah, what is it? He goes, a book you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> called the Alaska Mail Bomb Conspiracy. Why didn't you tell me about that one? Until I forgot. <laughs> I forgot all about it. Yeah. But that's where, you know, Peggy uh, Barnett uh, drives to the uh, post office with her. Uh, she's eight months pregnant. She's got a daughter in the car with her. And she's got a mail bomb in the car. Kind of a bumpy road. She's like, she didn't blow up all the way to the post office. <laughs> Jeez. Well, that's what and I she's mailing off a mail bomb to murder this kid who testified against her brother in a murder trial. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's so, uh, yeah, and she had all these great sexual fantasies that we started off the book with. It was kind of fun. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that guy, Carrie Drobin, who I always like plugging people I like. Carrie Drobin is an author who writes all these books about the motorcycle gang. She was a great book writer of was Running with the Devil about the ATF's infiltration of the Hells Angels, and how totally screwed the ATF was doing all these stupid things. Uh, and they're not getting any real decent indictments. That was a great book. She read some other great books, but she just got the biggest kick out of how we started uh, Alaska Mail Bomb Conspiracy with the, with the sister telling the brother her sexual fantasies about killing the, uh, the guy they killed. So she would actually have sexual fantasies over killing someone. So like she's like driving and got her finger up her. Yo, exactly. Yeah. If you if you ever oh, get boy. the wonderful, uh, if you ever get the audio book or you get the uh, the printed version, Peggy oh, uh, Barnett dreams it. of uh, oh. dreams of George Kerr, sweet little puppy dog George, and in her dream she's driving down the road and he's standing in the center of the highway. And she just guns that engine right at him. Wham! Hits him, his body goes a flailing arc over the top of the car and lands on the gravel. She gets out of the car and goes over, and here's poor little George laid in the gravel. You know, he can't breathe, his lungs have collapsed. Oh, jeez. Uh, she reaches down with her bare hands and breaks his neck, and the warm blood flows over her wrists. She just about has an orgasm. And uh, she's telling all this to her brother. He goes, whoa, be careful about the, the blood. You know what the Bible says about the blood. They're both Jehovah's Witnesses. And, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, see, that's the important thing, right? Yeah, they're both Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses, and the Jehovah's Witnesses don't get blood transfusions. So. Oh, but aside from that, everything was fine. <laughs> I, uh, uh, the murder's fine. Her, brother, her brother's uh, name is, uh, not his name, his nickname is Lizard, which right away tells you a little bit about him. Lizard Gustafson. Uh, yeah. Well, the two guys, Smiley and Lizard, Smiley, uh, Cheely, and Lizard Gustafson. They call him Smiley because he was always smiling. In fact, I went to the, uh, uh, sentencing phase of the, uh, trial up in Alaska, 
and the uh, the woman who, when the bomb went off, it didn't kill the guy who was supposed to kill because he wasn't home, but his dad opened the package, killed his father, melted his stepmother's face, made her deaf and blind and everything else. She was at the, uh, the sentencing hearing doing a victim's impact statement. And of course, she's given them hell for what they did. And uh, Smiley is, is smiling and laughing. This is real inspirational. Uh, so but, I, but I want to know about back having the orgasm when she was breaking his neck. Did she actually? Yeah. Well, you know, everyone needs a hobby. Yeah. What's that? Did she have to? Everyone needs a hobby. Well, I wasn't there personally, <laughs> uh, and I did not. But she's out of prison now, by the way. If you want to see if she can go out with her. <laughs> she can run me over with her car. Yeah. Car, yeah, hey. Yeah, I got this fantasy here, run with her car. Uh, no, she's, uh, she's out of prison now. She served her time. Uh, her brother, however, uh, is in there for life plus life. He's not getting out. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, oh, what time? Now, uh, Lee Goldberg is your uncle or you're his uncle? What's that? No, no, I'm Lee Goldberg's uncle. I was going to say, because he, yeah. he be your uncle and he looks so much younger. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so much heavier. Uh, what, <laughs> you know, like he's smuggling walnuts in his cheeks. Uh, <laughs> uh, but well, he just posted a picture of himself in New York. He says, yeah. "My cheeks and I in New York City in Manhattan." Uh, yeah. Todd, Lee and Todd. Yeah. Now Lee Goldberg and Todd Goldberg are brothers. Well, they're my yeah, sister's kids. Yeah, they're my sister's kids. And they, they made history. It was the first time in history that brothers were on the New York Times bestseller list the same week. That's awesome. Yeah, Lee's, Lee's a So I was, I was on the New York Times bestseller list, but that was years ago. Oh, Maybe yeah. someday I'll be on it again. Did there was a New York uh, Times bestseller list back then? Yeah, back in the 1800s when I was younger, yeah. That was murder in, that was murder in the family, right? Murder, mur murder in the family, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what, what is the book that stays with you to this day? It does what pays me well to this day, or what? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, um, no, uh, what, 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 do you, what, what always comes back to you? Like, what, you know what I mean. I, you know, keeps I don't know. That's a difficult question. Murder yeah. in the family keeps making me money. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy about that. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a, a great book. A Taste for Murder does well. I get money in the mail for that. Some of my favorite books aren't making me. I've never made me a dime. Yeah, uh, that's how it goes. But. Yeah. Uh, although the Saint book, uh, The Saint, A Complete History in Print, Radio, Television, and Film, continues to sell. Uh, when people think of The Saint, they buy it, and then I get a little bit of money in the mail. Uh, Headlock, The Private Eye Mystery, where I'm the hero. I wrote a book where I'm the hero because you know perfectly well and no one else is going to write that book. Oh, yeah. uh, so I wrote it. So it was a comedy and fantasy. That, uh, no, me being a hero, yeah. Uh, but it's a good book, and it's one of my favorites, and people who like it really like it, and no one buys it. Man Overboard, <laughs> The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne, nominated for Best True Crime Book of the Year by the World Mystery Convention. Uh, in person, I can sell it like a Vegematic salesman. But as far as people buying it, even though it's a you know, 25th anniversary edition where we mm. fix the typos and everything, uh, people aren't buying it. Uh, there's not enough dead people in it. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. If it, if it bleeds, it sells, right? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah. 
If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Red makes green. Yep. That was explaining to someone how uh, local news is structured in America. And that is, is you start with if it bleeds, it leads. You know, no one was killed in this bloody accident <laughs> you start off with. And uh, then you have, you end with something to be afraid of. That's always very important. Something to be afraid of. Is your cell phone going to give you brain cancer? Find out tonight. Uh, and then you end with a funny story about an animal. And there we all go. live happily ever after. Your and the cat. reason, oh, oh, you also have to have a story about people whose lives are worse than yours. Now, that's important. That way you can look at the news and say, wow, at least I'm not as screwed up as that guy is. <laughs> Now, give you a false sense of security. You were quite the stud back in the uh, old radio days. Oh, you oh yeah, I had groupies. Yeah, yeah I had groupies. Plus oh, yeah. their hearts. Yeah. yeah, the groupies had children. I find out about them 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I miss those days. Not the trips to the VD clinic, but I, I miss the, uh, <laughs> the warmth and adulation. And undulation. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What's your favorite yeah. writer? Narrative or more? My favorite have a Plato. What? What was that? Yeah, Plato. Do you, who do you like? Like, who do you like as a writer? Besides I like you? anybody who writes. Takes the time to write. Uh, you know, I don't read a lot because I write a lot. But doing as I do true crime uncensored, and you keep sending me a book a week. Damn it! <laughs> I got so many Al Warren books. I mean, it's like you know, what do you, you got like a <laughs> Uh, you know, a room full of monkeys cranking these things out. <laughs> you know? I do. And you say, oh, here's, here's another Al Warren book. Who published this one? Oh, okay, it's either J.R. Parker or Wild Blue. Who's the... Uh, so that's why we have you on my radio show so much. We know that when in doubt we get Alan Warren, he's good and he's got books. And you're always fun to have on the show. Uh, so I do read, usually, uh, a true crime book a week that's not my own because they're going to have a guest on. I want to know what their book's about. Uh, and sometimes I am so amazed to amuse the guests and God, I'm thunderstruck by the story or the quality of the work that I'm, I'm really just really impressed. I'll tell you, though, uh, Jack Olson, who was mm-hmm. uh, the world's greatest true crime writer, uh, he was very, very supportive of my career, wonderfully so. I mean, he just was really my number one cheerleader. And... Uh, I read the opening of his book, Souls of the Earth. I read the first page. And yeah. I wanted to take my laptop and my keyboard and throw them in the Pacific Ocean and give up. <laughs> he was so damn good. Mm-hmm. And uh, and on the, most of my books, on the, on the cover, it'll have a quote from Jack about how good I am. And uh, he used to write these articles. <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you get a hold of someone else's book like that, like a real good writer, and you read it, how does that? How how do you overcome that and continue to write? That's it's not easy. Uh, the way I overcame that is uh, I told Jack I, I just read the opening of Soul of the Earth and I just want to give up. You know I can, you know how can I ever write as well as Jack Olson? I never can. I never have that style. I can write my stuff as best as I can write it, but I'm not going to be Jack Olson. Because only he can write like Jack Olson. You know, you wind up getting your own voice. Yeah. There is something that uh, uh, Frank Gerardo and I did with a taste for murder and betrayal in blue that I'm proud of, and that is 
know, when I was writing primarily for Kensington Publishing Company, you know, with uh, Bird of the Family and Headshot and Fatal Beauty and all those, there were 100,000 words, and they're, you know, just the facts, ma'am. You know, Joe Friday sort of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said to Frank, I said, you know, you don't look at, at mysteries or uh, thrillers. They're not 100,000 words. You know, you tell the story. And maybe they're 50,000. Like a sane novel, 55,000 words. You know, why does it be 100,000? I'll tell you what. Let's write this book, and let's just write it and tell the story and tell it in a style that's conversational, as if we are sitting in person with a friend of ours who loves hearing stories, and mm-hmm. we got a story to tell. And that's how the approach we used and the style we used in writing A Taste for Murder. And it was a hit. And the biggest compliment we kept getting was, we love the style. It's so easy to read. It's conversational. And it just moves. And it's not 100,000 words. But it didn't take 100,000 words to tell the story. You know, let's just tell the story, tell it as best we can. And we make this up. Of course, a little tongue-in-cheek here. They said, we, I don't have the book in front of me, so I have to paraphrase myself. We, you love hearing stories, and we love telling stories. And so we assume that you're our friend. So after you read this book, don't say anything that's going to hurt our feelings. (laughs) (laughs) We're dewy-eyed innocents. The only source of joy we have in life is making you happy. Uh... (laughs) So I didn't get very many negative reviews. If people felt guilty if they did, but I've had some that I just want to throttle the reviewer. Someone writes on Amazon about uh, uh, what was it? Murder in the family. Too much talk about ballistics. There's no ballistics in the book at all. No one got <laughs> shot. So what the hell book are you reading? You know, why don't you look at the cover and see if it's mine before you you know. Bad-mouthed. You can usually tell the trolls. They give your book one star, yeah. and they say, I've never reviewed a true crime book before in my life, but this one's so terrible, I just had to write it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, those aren't real. Those are the competition. Uh, <laughs> no, they're not even, I mean, I, you know, so I'm not going to write a review of a book. I'm not going to waste my time and yours writing a, writing a review to tell you not to read a book. I'll write a review of a good book. You know, I write a forward to a book I like, even mm-hmm. if no one buys it. Yeah. I wrote a blurb for uh, the, uh, there's a series of mystery books that I thought were quite good. I think there's two in the series, and there's three now. The third one was self-published. That's Dr. Risk, uh, is the series. Uh, I wrote the Risk, Risk of Murder. The guy's a, uh, an odds expert, a risk analyst. And, uh, they're very clever books. Unfortunately, the series only has three in it, and probably me endorsing it was his death knell. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's uh, a lot of good writers out there. The world's crawling with them. Yeah. And uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some of the great ones uh, from, you know, from literally from around the world. Uh, uh, Tony Thompson from England, mm-hmm. he's a brave guy. You know about him? He wrote a book. He wrote, he figured out that this criminal, international, they've been looking for this guy, criminal, international criminal. They could only, there's no award for this guy wherever he is in the world. He figures out the guy's living not just down the street. <laughs> in England. Jeez. And he goes and knocks on the guy's door. 
Any guy opens, some guy opens the door. He goes, oh, hi, is that so-and-so home? He goes, uh, <laughs> who are you? What's this about? He goes, well, uh, I think the guy's getting a raw deal. They're talking about him being such a horrible criminal all the time. He never gets to hear his side of the story. And I figured that he lives here. I'll wait for him. And if he's willing, I'll tell his side of the story. Wow. Well, the guy invites him in, and they sit there for about a half hour having tea and crumpets or something. And the guy finally says, hey, it's me. And so he gets the whole story. You know, he gets exclusive. And uh, I mean, I, I, I admire that sort of stuff, you know. That is really cool, actually. Yeah, and it, it takes a certain amount of bravery, but I think we true crime writers are a bit nuts anyway. Like, <laughs> if someone threatens our lives, go, oh, we must be on the right track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for my first death threat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, don't worry, you'll get it. Yeah, that doesn't take long. <laughs> no, it doesn't take long. Sooner or later, oh, you're true crime writer. Why, you blood-sucking, money-hungry pig living off the pain of others. Oh, I've yeah. been called yeah. that for sure already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you wrote for the newspaper, they're going to call you up and write you and say the same thing about you? No. no. If you're a TV reporter, are they going to do it? No. But if you spend no. a year of your life researching the story and telling the story, more better than you could in the newspaper and better than you could on TV... Now you're yeah. a blood-sucking, no-good, bottom-feeder, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's showbiz. Yeah, terrible yeah. situation, terrible situation. Yeah, I, know. I don't know how I survive it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see the book. I just finished uh, phase one, I told you, of uh, American yeah. Panthers stealing Manhattan. And that's 60,000 easy-to-read easy words. And as yeah, this one lady said, who just thinks it's the greatest, she read the manuscript, she goes, is this a true story? This is hysterical. I mean, it's not a comedy, and it's true, but it's just the more it gets into it, the crazier it gets. I mean, because no one's heard this story before. And Americans are pretty naive on how corrupt things are. You know? Mm. <laughs> Here you got the chief of police buying a drink from Mr. Stan. Hey, make sure all the guys in your crew have real jobs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Hey. Welcome to America. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it's corrupt all the way now. You know, <laughs> oh, right to the top. <laughs> right to the top. You know. Yeah. yeah it's like uh, it's like the uh, Watergate was like a turtleneck sweater. The cover up went all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it only it only gets more entertaining every single day. Yeah, I can't remember as it says in the faith of which I am an adherent. It says, avoid partisan politics as you would a lion. Yeah. Because it's corrupt in ever higher and ever widening circles. Stay away from it. It causes disunity. Really. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I see people fighting about this. Now, I've got uh, some friends and acquaintances who, much to my shock and chagrin and mortification, are big. Uh, I mean, I'm always a well wisher of our government. You know, if someone's sick, you don't want them to die. You want them to get better. Right. So I'm always a well-wisher, right? And I'm not, I try to stay aloof from the political aspect, but I'm not aloof from the integrity aspect. Uh, you know, I will not campaign for any politician. Mm -hmm. I'm not a member of any political party, but I do vote, and I vote on issues and ethics, not by party. Yeah. But then again, if your party can't find any ethics, it's not going to be much of a party anymore. <laughs> it's a dream. It's a tragic I, I, story. The whole, it's like a giant farce. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
That's showbiz. Yeah, it's just... Who says that? Lenny Bruce, I think. That politics is the entertainment wing of the military-industrial complex. <laughs> well, there's either a Mark Twain or a, what's his name, the other guy with the lasso, political humorist. If your vote meant anything, they wouldn't let you vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sort of says it all, doesn't it? Um, yeah. It, uh, wow. So now your new book's out, and of course... Uh, no, my new one, the new one isn't out yet. The Ceiling Manhattan isn't out yet. When does it come out? That's a good question. Right now we're in heavy, uh, uh, heavy stuff going on with uh, movie and TV rights. Uh, an Academy Award winning producer uh, wants to do an entire series, like Ocean's Eleven series, based on uh, uh, Stealing Manhattan. Yeah, that would make a great, great movie for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. A and bunch a of movies. Of it, yeah. I mean, we, they were doing heists. I mean, these are incredible diamond heists. The kind you see one movie we based like one heist, you know, the way these uh, Ocean's Eleven things. Mm-hmm. I had to leave out hundreds and hundreds of heists for the book because it would just be overwhelming. I right. had to pick which ones I wanted to write about. Mm. Yep. So guys, guys love a great heist movie. That's for sure. Oh yeah, they do. In fact, there was a article on. There's a site called Academia.edu, which is all academics, and there was an academic paper written on why people love heist movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's fascinating. And I'll tell you, they're going to love this book if they like heists and uh, and why people do them. I mean, even after they did the biggest mega heist in the history of America, over a billion dollars, they kept doing it. They didn't need to. It just it was fun, great fun. They loved doing it. Oh, yeah. And unlike the mafia who would kill each other over who's going to get the proceeds, they did exactly the opposite. Hey, you want to do a heist? Fine, do one, take the money, go open a real estate company. (laughs) (laughs) So you can look out at the skyline of Manhattan and know which heist paid for which skyscraper because all these guys were into real estate. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Quite the story. Well, you have to let us know when it comes out. Now, your website uh, is burlbear.net, right? Yeah, burlbear.net. And I had a problem with my website, which cost a king's ransom, a small Balkan king, but a king nonetheless. And uh, it went down, and we brought it back up, and uh, the photos were missing, and, boy, all sorts of aggravation. But the site's still there, and my blog is there, and you can get my books. And please buy all my books as soon as possible so I can get some royalty checks in the mail. She said my <laughs> laptop die, which is no oh, fun. Yeah, I need some money. No, yeah, I need money to buy a new laptop. This is the, uh, <laughs> you know, help help Burl out right now. Yeah, help Burl out. We're going to have a GoFundMe for buy Burl a laptop so he continue his writing career, which obviously is stalled somewhat if he can't afford to go buy one. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's go. We need to sell some books. Yeah, I'm all in favor of that. And don't buy them used. I don't get any money if you buy them used. Yeah, nobody Because I've had people ask I bought a... I saw your book on sale at a yard sale, so I bought it. How do they pay you? <laughs> don't you fool. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't want to buy that. You yeah, know, yeah. Just because it'd be all sticky, sticky pages. Nobody. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Especially the one Peggy Bardet, the head of the guy with the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
be all wet and bloody. Well, yeah. another interesting yeah. hour. Burl, thank you for that. went by that fast already. It did. I thought, we were, I thought we were just getting warmed up. We're just getting warmed up, but it's over. Well, so that's no, it. No, it's over. Well, well buy all my books. Uh, it covers a lot of territory. I got lots of true crime books. that I've got books that aren't true crime. You can buy those, too. And you can buy uh, other people's books if you want, but buy mine first. <laughs> yeah, okay. Buy the others. Yeah, mine. Yeah. Thanks. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.